0: The scripture for today is from the first book of Chronicles, chapter 22, verses 5 through 13. Before we read the word of God, let's pray that he will give us wisdom to hear his word. Father, quiet the distractions in our mind and in our midst and help us to hear your word. Open our hearts and our minds to what you want us to learn this morning and be with will as he teaches. We love you, Lord. Amen. Hear the word of God from 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verses 5 through 13. For David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, of fame and glory throughout all lands. I will therefore make preparations for it. So David provided materials in great quantity before his death. Then he called for Solomon, his son, and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord, my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, you have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name because you have shed so much blood before me on this earth. Behold, A son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies. For his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, and I will be his father. And I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. Now, my son... The Lord be with you so that you may succeed in building the house of the Lord your God as he has spoken concerning you. Only may the Lord grant you discretion and understanding that when he gives you charge over Israel, you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you are careful to observe the statutes and the rules that the Lord commanded Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Fear not. Do not be dismayed. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Do you believe it's not the tech team's fault? Hello, my name is Will Downey. I'm the director of student ministries here at The Barn, and I am also the creator of The Barn Bingo Boards, now updated for outdoor worship. So, if you have one, keep your ears alert, Uh, because second to encouraging you all with the gospel of Jesus Christ, my goal this morning is that everyone get a bingo. Just like my buddies and me on the elementary school basketball team, everybody's a winner. In the early days of the pandemic, my wife and I began watching a show called Last Man on Earth. Uh, Though Last Man on Earth was created in 2015, the plot is that a deadly virus gets unleashed on the world in 2020 and it kills everybody except the main character, who is the last man on Earth. Uh, It was a disconcerting coincidence, though, when the whole world shut down in real life in 2020. Now, despite what the plot might make you think, the show's a comedy. And we really enjoyed watching it, but I wouldn't recommend it to any of you. Uh, And the reason for that is because the show never ends. The final episode leaves off on a major cliffhanger. There is no uh, character resolution, there's no story resolution, and then the show was unexpectedly canceled. I wonder if you have a favorite show or movie or maybe a book that began really strong but then just never ended. I'm not talking about an ending where there's questions left up in the air that are a little ambiguous, like, is he stuck in a dream or not, uh, at the end of the movie Inception. I'm talking about the story stopping right in the middle with no resolution. I can't stand that. I need a story that ends. I need that satisfying sense of closure and completion and understanding that comes with knowing the entire story arc. true in a literary sense, but I wish it were true in life as well. I have a much easier time starting something if I have an idea of how long it will go and when it will end and what's going to happen in in the middle. Um, I think one of the reasons that being between jobs can be so disorienting for people is that, well, you know you need to find a job, but you don't know when it's going to happen or how long it's going to take. You have no guarantee of what's going to pan out in the end. When somebody invites me to a fun get-together, I want to know, of course, what's going to happen. But almost as important, I want to know, when is it going to end? When can I go home? Yeah, you introverts know what I'm talking about. Joke successful. (laughs) Mm, We have been remodeling a room in our basement for over a year. And every time the time frame to finish gets pushed back a little bit further, it's a reminder of the tension that we always live in. The tension of living in the middle of the story. Now, if you, like me, struggle with living with the tension of being in a story that has not ended, you may benefit from the book of Chronicles. Chronicles is, after all, a story in search of an ending. In the English Bible, uh, Bible, Bible, following the ordering of the Greek Septuagint, Chronicles sits near the middle of the Old Testament. All of you who've learned your books of the Bible know that. Um, however, the Jews had a different order to their Old Testament books in the Tanakh. So in the Hebrew Bible, Chronicles is intentionally placed at the very end of the canon. It's the last book. And it kicks off the 400 silent years between the close of the Old Testament and the arrival of a baby in a manger. And Chronicles instructs us how to live a fulfilling and a hope-filled life in the tension between the beginning and the end of God's unfolding story and our own unfolding story as well. Throughout the summer, we've been moving book by book through the Bible. Uh, and Our text this morning is going to be all of 1 Chronicles. Um, but I'm primarily going to be zooming in on 1 Chronicles 22 and 28. <coughs> now, when I, uh, when I was asking Matt about what he wanted me to do with this sermon, he encouraged me to put together a sermon that would equip the saints to stop skipping Chronicles and to show them how it preaches the gospel of a resurrected Christ. So that's where we're going this morning. Uh, we're going to do a big picture overview of Chronicles so you are not intimidated into skipping it. Uh, and then we're going to be looking at how it preaches the gospel message. And finally, I'll show you how Chronicles connects to your role in God's kingdom. That last one was my own addition. So while you might not outright skip Chronicles, there are a couple reasons that you might prefer mm, doing your devotions in another section of scripture. First of all, Chronicles tells the same story as the Samuels and the Kings which precede it. First Chronicles is a retread of First and 2 Samuel, showing the rise of David, while 2 Chronicles is a retread of First and Second Kings, showing how the kings to follow in the Davidic dynasty did not faithfully follow God. Now having four retellings of the life of Jesus in the New Testament Gospels, we do have categories for the Bible covering the same story multiple times from different angles and with different emphases. In the case of Samuels and Kings, we have something similar to a breaking news broadcast. These books read like contemporary reports of what's been happening, and the news is, of course, mostly pessimistic and bad. These books have been invaluable for the Jewish people living in exile, though, to let them know what had happened to land them in their unhappy position. Chronicles, on the other hand, is a lot more like a History Channel special, back when the History Channel was interested in history and not uh, entertainment. It's a historical book at what happened in the rise and the fall of the Davidic dynasty. Um, And it's more optimistic in nature. It was meant to give meaning and purpose and hope to the Jewish community who had come back from living in exile. They had begun restoring uh, Jerusalem and the temple worship, but they were still awaiting the returns of uh, the kings ruling over Israel, and especially the greatly promised and greatly anticipated Messiah. Now, in that way, we, as followers of God today, are much like the original audience of Chronicles. We live on the other side of the cross, but we too await the return of the king to set all things right. A second reason you might be tempted to skip or just find something else other than Chronicles is the lists. If you have your Bible, print or digital, I invite you to turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 1. and I'm going to begin reading. <coughs> Adam, Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahalalal, Jared. Quick pause to say that Jared comes after Mahalalal. Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth. The sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, Tiras. Those are the first five verses of Chronicles. Yeah, but the New Testament starts with a genealogy of Jesus, so surely this doesn't go on for too long, right? Let's start looking at the headings. Chapter 2, genealogy of David. Chapter 3, the descendants of David. Skip, 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 skip. Chapter 6, find other section, find other section, find other section. Chapter 6, descendants of Levi. 81 verses long, I might add. Chapter 9, Genealogy of the Returned Exiles. It is not until chapter 10, immediately after the second listing of Saul's genealogies, in case you missed the first listing of Saul's genealogy, that the story of Chronicles proper actually begins. And then and again, 1 Chronicles 23 to 27, we get five chapters listing out the various people that David assigned to work in the temple once it was made. Uh, There is a Simpsons episode where the father Homer believes he has a terminal illness, and he only has one last day to live. And so as he prepares to go to sleep on what he thinks will be the last day of his life, he starts feeling religious, and he puts on an audio book of the Bible, and he goes to sleep. And as he's going to sleep, you hear uh, genealogy, all right? And in the morning, he wakes up, yay, Uh, and they are still listing out names. (laughs) I think about that scene every time I get to one of the long lists of Bible names, and Now, hopefully, you will as well. Every word in the Bible is inspired by God. It's been supernaturally ordained to become part of God's perfect revelation to humanity. And yet it is true that there are sections of the Bible that are uh, more page-turners, shall we say. The long stretches of lists play an important role in God's unfolding revelation, and so it's good that they're part of the Bible. The people of Israel, God's people, had been divided and conquered and sent into exile. And there were parts of Israel that had it worse than others. Nine of the tribes of Israel functionally drop out of the biblical story in 722 BC. And so these many genealogies at the beginning of Chronicles that show that all of God's people were accounted for after the exile, it reminded post-exilic Israel, and it reminds us today that God does not abandon his people. And it does so in a way that stands out. It's very hard to miss. That being said, when Matt told me to equip the saints to not skip the book of Chronicles, I asked it to be okay if I encouraged you to power read through those sections. And, uh, and he said that was a given. God is not displeased when you skim the 407 verses of names to get to the more riveting sections of the Bible. So what does Chronicles have going for it? Well, Chronicles is a story about who we are and where we are going. And there are many parallels between the original audience and a modern Christian reader that make it easy relevant, easily relevant for us today. The post-exilic Jews were God's people, but they were very far removed from the primary events that shaped their religion. And we too are devoted to the life the teaching of Jesus Christ but we live 2000 years removed from his ministry uh, both of us have a very large gap to bridge when it comes to connecting our sacred history with our present life in such a way that gives understanding and satisfaction and challenge the first reader of chronicles were living in anticipation of the coming messiah As Chronicles closed out the Hebrew Bible, it played a role very similar to what Revelation does in the New Testament. It reminds God's people of his covenant with David. God promised that a descendant of David's would rule forever over a never-ending kingdom. In 1 Chronicles 17. And though the kingly line of David was severed when they were taken off into exile, Chronicles reminds us that God is Faithful to keep his promises, and he would still send that king one day to restore his people. As Sally Lloyd Jones says in the Jesus Storybook Bible, God always keeps his promises because of his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Yet between the past and the future, we exist, and we make mistakes. And Chronicles is a constant reminder to God's people that his grace offers the answer to human guilt. Now this was evident in a community that landed themselves into exile through generations of rejecting God. And yet they read Chronicles as a people who had been rescued out of exile through no doing of their own. And this mirrors the New Testament teaching that we find in Romans 5.20. Now the law came in to increase trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. God's grace offers the answer to our guilt. All right, so now you're equipped to not skip, though perhaps to strategically power read through Chronicles. Let's sink into how Chronicles handles King David in such a way to point us to the gospel. In 1 Samuel, David is described as a man after God's own heart. He's just, he's just the best. Except, you know, for that one time. You know what I'm talking about, right? The, uh, the whole adultery and murder of the innocent mishap. Well, it's in the Bible because it's part of David's story. But it's difficult to accept that a guy who does this is a man after God's own heart. The Samuels, like modern news story, track his, uh, him as a rising star full of potential Um, But then he has that gross mistake, and after that, he's canceled. The rest of Samuel, after that, he's facing civil war and disease and political coups, and all the unity that he fought for just comes apart. However, in Chronicles, he is intentionally portrayed in a much more positive light. uh, Gone are all of the stories where he's on his back foot, the part about him being hunted down through the wilderness, the part about him sitting against Bathsheba, the part about his son's rebellion, all of that's been removed. And David is portrayed throughout Chronicles as one who obeyed God and led the people to faithfully follow God. Now this wasn't some sort of revisionist history because the prior books of Samuel and Kings come earlier in the biblical canon. Any Jew would have been very familiar with the sin of David and the damage that it caused. But Chronicles is portraying David as a type of Christ. The type of Christ is a shorthand for saying someone or something in the Bible that is a symbol foreshadowing or prefiguring the perfect king to come. Somebody told me that when you hear snapping in the woods, it could be a squirrel or a bear. So just let me know if it's a bear. For uh yeah, type of Christ. Foreshadows or prefigures the perfect king to come. They're they're found all over the Old Testament. A common convention in Hebrew prophecy is that there would be a near partial fulfillment of God's promises that would give hope for and would anticipate a future fuller fulfillment. So David becomes the benchmark for what a godly king should be. And he is the standard by which kings to follow uh, are measured by. If a king leads in a godly manner, he's described as walking in the ways of his father David. And all of this was meant to cause the Israelites to long for that promised king, who wouldn't be like, ah, he's good enough, he's better than the last guy. But who would be someone greater than David, a Messiah, a Savior. Now, as a type of Christ, David provided for the work of God to continue after him. And this prefigures Jesus, who knew that his days on earth were numbered. As such, he is making preparations from the start of his ministry for the work of the building of the kingdom of God to continue after him. Jesus traveled and preached and spread his teaching far and wide so that after his death, his resurrection, and his ascension to heaven, the church would continue to grow, built on a firm foundation. In a similar way, David has a desire to build a magnificent temple that will glorify God and to provide his people with a centralized place of worship. He has both the desire to do this as well as the means to pull it off, but God shuts the door. The passage that Meg read for us before I got up details this. In 1 Chronicles 22, 8, David confides to his son Solomon that God had forbidden him, a warrior with much blood on his hands, from being the one to build his temple. Verses 9 and 8, this is God speaking, say, Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all of his surrounding enemies, for his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. It's not that David's idea was bad. It's that he was not the man for the job. And the work that he had dedicated to himself throughout his entire life, um, protecting God's people, fighting for God, is the reason that David was disqualified. That must have really hurt. I would have had a hard time not taking that personally. But how did David respond? He responds by gathering all of the supplies and all of the workers that Solomon would need. In fact, we get five chapters of very meticulous details about all of the wood and the gold and the priests and the musicians and the guards and the treasurers and so on and so forth that David set up to pave the way for God's people to thrive after him. He labored toward a goal despite knowing that he would never see it accomplished. Now, continuing on with the typology, David, more than, David did more than just get all of his uh, resources and intellectual pieces into place for the kingdom of God to thrive he also prepared the people of God to follow the Lord in his absence. While Jesus spread his teaching to anybody who would listen, he did really ingrain that into the hearts and to the minds of a dozen hand-selected laymen, teaching them to love well. Now, I don't understand why God, in his infinite wisdom, decided that it would be better for a group of people consisting of fishermen, a tax collector, religious terrorists, to continue building the church rather than the resurrected Jesus, God-made flesh. But his ways are not our ways, and 2,000 years later, the church still stands. Praise God, because it's not our doing. Now prefiguring this, David is seen preparing and commissioning the next generation. 1 Chronicles 28, David assembles all of the leaders of Israel and commissions them to obey Solomon, God's chosen successor. He instructs them to help Solomon in the work that God has called him to, and to faithfully follow God. 1 Chronicles 28.8 reads, Now therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord and in the hearing of our God, observe and seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land, and leave it for an inheritance to your children after you forever. David, imperfect though he was, is portrayed as a type of Christ. He looks forward to the promised king who would be even greater than him and would set all things right. He humbly obeyed God. He provided for the work of the ministry to outlast him. And he prepared the people of God to continue past him. Now we are not types of Christ. But on the other side of the cross, we do look back and strive to be imitators of Jesus. David was an imperfect follower of God, and we are too. At least I am. I guess I shouldn't speak for you. Is there anyone here who could cast the first stone? It's probably a good sign. All right, we won't be perfect imitators of Christ on this side of glory. It seems we've come to agreement on that. But that not need discourage us from striving in the power of the Holy Spirit to humbly obey Christ. Every day, in every way, we need to live out the teaching of Jesus. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice in Romans 12.1. You humbly obey Christ when you dedicate yourself to loving God. Spending time cultivating a deep and a meaningful relationship with God takes work. It's hard. And that means you may need to get up early for uninterrupted time with the Lord before your day starts. Uh, It means you may need to say no to opportunities or to teams that would regularly prohibit you from assembling with the church community on Sunday mornings for worship. Perhaps I'm preaching to the choir there. It means you may need to spend less money on yourself so that you can support a ministry or a cause that God has laid on your heart. You humbly obey Christ when you love your neighbor, when you hear about the injustices in the community or the world, and you sacrifice that gut response to tell yourself, this isn't my problem, this doesn't affect me, or maybe worse, the people doing this deserve what they got. Injustice is injustice. Instead, you remember and you act on the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, Love your neighbor, your neighbor being anyone that you have the power to help, even if they're different than you. You humbly obey Christ when you're feeling annoyed or defensive, but then you sacrifice that urge to make a short, sarcastic response. And instead you favor being slow to speak and quick to listen. James one nineteen. I can't possibly hit all of the commands and the teachings of Jesus that you ought to obey, But I do think that love God, love others, and shut up and listen to people better is probably a good start. If my son were here, he would tell me that shut up is not a nice thing to say. That wasn't in my notes. So we imitate Christ when we humbly are obedient to him. We also imitate Christ when we engage in God's kingdom work as David committed himself to furthering God's work by preparing to build the temple, and Jesus committed himself to doing the will of the Father, I encourage you to engage in God's kingdom work as well. Engaging in God's kingdom work could be a string of one-offs. It could be like donating blood uh, at a blood drive or getting the rotation to help us here at the barn when we host our blood drives once a month. It could look like doing a charity 5K race for something and a cause that God has laid on your heart. Uh, but there are many ministries that benefit from your intentional commitment. Think about everything that goes into making our Sunday mornings happening. We have our setup, our greeters, our tech, hospitality, our liturgists, musicians. We've got children's ministry, teachers and aides, nursery helpers. It takes a lot to facilitate worship on Sunday morning. I wonder where you could plug in. Or you could throw yourself into the, the routine day-to-day work of ministry. That could look like volunteering your time at the church. Loud plane going overhead is on the bingo board, but I didn't plan that one. It's probably good enough. Uh, yes, you could volunteer your time in the church office midweek. If you ask our head trustee, Dave Ross, or Lida Scudder, our communication, Business director, hey, is there anything that you could use help with regularly, midweek? They're probably going to laugh at you. And then they'll ask in a very hopeful tone, are you serious? Now, church work is good and it's needed, but it's not the only place to devote yourself. Crisis pregnancy centers, anti-trafficking groups, prison ministries, the possibilities are endless. So prayerfully consider what God might be calling you to in this stage of life with your God op- uh, God-given opportunities and the limits that you have. Now, if the task seems too daunting, maybe you can't finish what you start. Take heart, because David went into preparing the temple knowing that he would not get to see the task completed. It's a beautiful thing to devote yourself to a task that will outlast you. Finally, finally, As David was diligent to equip and to commission the next generation of Israel's leaders, foreshadowing Jesus' own equipping and great commission to the disciples, you go and do likewise. Pastor Eugene Peterson reminds us, Hey! (laughs) No life of faith can be lived privately. It must outflow into the lives of others. No life of faith can be lived privately. It must outflow into the life of others. Now, I am admittedly fond of and biased towards children and youth ministry. There we go. Uh, and there are plenty of opportunities to get plugged into both children and youth ministry. And if you want to get the shortlist, you can talk to Lisa Lynch or myself after the service. But that doesn't need to be your thing unless you're a parent then you need to take seriously the solemn responsibility that you have to uh, teach the with God life to your children alongside the support of your church community. But if you're not a parent, there are many other God-honoring ways to build up and equip equip the next spiritual generation. You could have a mentor-mentee relationship. You could be an accountability partner to someone that you know is struggling. You could commit yourself to a small group. All good ways to commit yourself to equipping another spiritual generation. Now, Chronicles is a story in search of an end. And through its exploration of the tension between God's past promises and their future fulfillment, we find hope. In 1 Chronicles, David is portrayed in such a way as to point people towards that promised Savior. In the 21st century, we are called to play a similar role, imitating Christ and pointing people back to the words and the life of Christ, being an imitator of Christ is hard, but it's good. It requires humble obedience. It requires faithful work, which we might not always see the fruit of, and it requires commitment to the generations to come. But the struggle is well worth it, as theologian Tim Keller says: "If the God of the Bible exists, and this life is not the only life, then every good endeavor." Even the simplest ones, pursued in response to God's calling, will matter forever. Every good endeavor, pursued in response to God's calling, will matter forever. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for your good word to us. We thank you for the book of Chronicles and how it models for us how to have hope and how to find meaning. When we're in the middle of the story that we don't know how we'll end and when we'll end. And God, I pray that you be with us. And God, as we are following um, following Christ in the ways that David pointed towards him, God, I pray that you help us to humbly obey Christ. I pray that you help us to build towards your kingdom work. And God, I pray that you help us to see beyond ourselves and devote ourselves to equipping others. Um, God, In the meantime, we love you, we worship you, we serve you, but we pray that you come quick. In your good name we pray, amen.